Hey everybody, before we get started in on this episode, we just wanted to let you know that there was an episode before this that we have lost the recording of. So there might be a couple of references here and there to something that if you've been following along with our episodes, you might feel like you missed something, and you did, it's just so did everybody else. Anyway, on with the show. Hello everyone, welcome to the Mothband Prophecies, a Sparrows podcast. This is season two, episode nine, I think. I don't know, yes. kind of kind of lost count but it doesn't really matter it's quarantine it's quarantine and all days are are meshing together i think it's a friday today i don't know yep is it is it the weekend um i think it's also become a uh, a bit more of a blur recently because i uh i i i feel like i'm hung over currently because i did the one thing somebody my age uh should never do anymore which is uh pull an all-nighter and oh yeah uh, oh yeah no you don't do that i did that two nights ago and uh yesterday was one of the worst days of my life and it was actually my my girlfriend that told me that apparently i don't know alex if you if you can verify this um but for every hour of sleep that you don't get is equivalent to one like alcoholic drink apparently Um. I don't know if there's fact behind that, but she, that's what she told I've me. Heard, I've heard of things like that. But so if that's the case, then I was, I was like, officially. I was probably about 10 or 12 drinks deep. I mean, that would also mean that I'm operating on like seven drinks every single day. So yeah. I don't, I don't know. Well, I wouldn't but I, know I, that. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. So I pulled this all nighter because as we've mentioned on previous podcasts, I've gotten a new video game system. And it's kind of taken over my life. And I'm realizing as of today, or actually as of yesterday, I kind of need to step back for a little bit. Because <laughs> I stayed up. I literally started playing GTA San Andreas at 5 p.m. And was playing it until 8 a.m. the next morning. Wow. Like my Did eyes you were- realize the, the time was going by, though? Not really. Like I, I think okay. I was so enthralled by it. Because I finally got to the flight simulation in that game. Oh, you have to go to pilot that. So oh. here's the thing. I spent an hour and a half playing this flight simulation. I got to the third of 10 lessons and I gave up. I was so frustrated. I couldn't, yeah. I, like, it was the worst thing and it, it almost ruined the game for me. So yeah. I turned it off. About 10 minutes later, I turned it back on. And every time I tried to enter the simulation, my game would freeze. And it happened seven times in a row that I would have to reboot my system, reboot my system, reboot my system to the point where I just, I couldn't do it. So now I don't even know if I'd ever be able to beat it because the game has now just stopped working. Well, this is the thing is I feel like I had the same problem as you when I played through San Andreas. And then at some point you just kind of don't need it anymore. I don't know. There's something, and I can't remember if I'm mixing up two games right now. But I think there's you, like a, you need it for the, the two missions past the flight simulation you need it for. And then yeah. I don't think you need it again when you get to, because um, I'm in the desert right now. I'm not yeah. in the Vegas. You're not in the place. city, yeah. No, and I was like looking so forward to finally getting to see what Vegas looked like in GTA land. Yeah. Anyways, it got, so I played this game for whatever, like hours and hours and hours to the point that yesterday when I, f- I finally had an hour nap, got up, went and did groceries, came back, slept for another few hours, woke up and felt so insanely nauseous that it like fucked me up. 
And then last night when I tried to sleep, I couldn't sleep for more than about three minutes at a time without being jolted awake because all that was imprinted in my like inner eyeball was fucking Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> so I think I'm going to take a bit of a break from video games for a little bit. Uh, I mean, that's probably a good idea, all things considered. Yeah. It's um, just, I got so obsessed with it that I just, I, I have to stop because it literally made me ill. You should take some like melatonin and go to sleep like early tonight. Well, <laughs> I tried to. So after not going to bed at all, I went to bed at 12 last night and tossed and turned for eight hours and then yeah. finally got like a decent sleep, um, which uh, ended up in a really weird fever dream about me bartending at work and somebody stealing my pants. And I didn't realize it until I looked down and wasn't wearing pants. Yeah, you shouldn't so. play video games ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on like a weird, a weird like drug induced. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> that's not what we're here to talk about today. Um, we are here to talk about what are you guys watching, you son of a bitches? Uh, because that you know that's a fun son, little thing. That son we, of a bitches. Son of son of sons, sons of, of bitches. bitches. Son yeah. of bitches. Sons of bitches. I don't know. Yeah, something like whatever, that. We'll whatever let you ride on that fair. one. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan, <laughs> what are you watching these days? It's funny because um, I was all prepared for this. And then you started talking about GTA. And then that reminded me that I've started playing GTA online with uh, a friend of Alex's and ours, Landon. And it is hilarious, A, how bad I am, but B, how bad other people are on there too. Because oh, the, you can. The game is crazy. I mean, yeah. I haven't played GTA 4 or 5, but just playing San Andreas, one, the fucking drivers in this game are atrocious. Yeah. It's the online? most. No no no, 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 no. I'm just saying in the game, like whatever the, yeah, okay. the, the computer, whoever, oh. uh, whoever. They just change lanes for no fucking for reason, no reason to be in front of you. Oh, yeah. it drives me nuts. Have yeah. you noticed yet? This is my favorite thing. When <laughs> you're becomes, driving <laughs> and you're going to. This GTA podcast. <laughs> Welcome to season one, episode one of This is Bullshit, yeah. the GTA podcast. Um, you're driving and a car will be going through the lights and it just slows down so that it's in front of you. Yeah. Drives me, but no, but like going the, uh, the, uh, like perpendicular direction of you. Yeah. So you're going to T-bone the fucking thing. Yeah. It and drives then, me nuts. The thing is I will swerve just slightly to miss it, but then I'll like, yep. I'm talking Nick, like the smallest. And Nick. then you just I fucking fishtail. And I, fishtail yeah. like crazy. <laughs> it is the oh, most man. frustrating fucking thing in the entire world. It's, and that's the other, I think that's the other reason why I have to take a step back is my anger management has gone <laughs> through the fucking roof. You can ask see, my girlfriend. I'm, I'm the opposite yelling. here. I am just like, yelling. Oh, yeah. But like, that's I'm just like being involved with sports. It's the I same know. thing. But yeah. I think I'm a pretty like cool, laid back, relaxed guy for the most part. But this has brought out a fucking demon in me that like I didn't ever know existed, <laughs> and I don't think I want it to exist. It's just really made me angry. Anyways, I'm sure by the next time we record a podcast, I will probably have started GTA 4, because I have GTA 4, <laughs> and I just got the two, uh, I got the, I don't know if it's an expansion disc, but it's like the two other stories, like the, the, the Ballad of Gay Tony and Oh, nice, nice. Else. That one's so good. I have, so I have the whole thing. And I've heard GTA yeah. 4 is actually like really good. Like the storyline is good. So. It's a little more advanced if, from what I remember. Like there's yeah. just more to do. Yeah. Like um, San Andreas is fun. It's just, you know, I'm just A, frustrated by the flight simulation and the fact that my game is fucking broken now because it keeps freezing. Yeah. But what I was reading online, that apparently is an issue with the game in general. So yeah. this is what it is. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, Landon and I tried to do this fucking mission yesterday really quick. And you could tell that there was like, one kid was really good 
and one kid was really bad. And I swear to God, because you, if someone dies in a mission more than once, say, it's re- you're done and you have to start again. And I swear to God, this kid fucking blew me up like seven times oh. and we're on the same team. But then we get through all this whole thing and ca- him and I are like walking out of the casino and I get run over by a Brinks truck just out of nowhere. <laughs> and I have been laughing about that all day today. Because no, Alex, I was texting with Alex yeah. at the same time. And Alex is like, what the fuck? You got hit by a Brinks truck? And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. And he's like, so oh, worried. video like, game. Should we have a band conversation about this? Like, are we not able to do this anymore? Are you paralyzed now? Because Landon out of nowhere is like, oh, yeah, Dan just got hit by a Brinks truck. No contact. Like, in our other group chat that I have with him and our other buddy. And for, like, two minutes, I was like, yeah. I even told Carly. I was like, I think Dan got hit by a truck. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, video games. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that was, that was funny. I've been laughing about that all day. And then today when I got home from work, I played for a little bit and we're trying to do this mission. And when you do missions in this game, you're like paired up with other people on the internet. Mm-hmm. And this guy was so bad at driving that I got out of the car and shot him in the head and got into the car myself and drove the rest of the so, mission. So I was going to say, that's something I've actually done in San Andreas, where if somebody yeah. cuts me off and I'm like really pissed off at the game, I will literally yeah. follow them, get out, kill the person, and then continue back on my mission because yeah. I'm so fucking mad at them. Sometimes revenge is the right thing. Oh, anyway, I haven't watched any TV. Son of a bitch. More, more what are you uh, playing these days? Alex, what are, have you been watching anything or playing anything, I guess, is, is uh, a better question? Well, I don't I, want to hear about RuneScape. Well, I'm, it's double XP weekend this weekend, but uh, anyways. <laughs> um, I don't know what that means. <laughs> double experience uh, oh, okay. for the weekend, but right. enough about that. Uh, so I actually, on your uh, recommendation, I watched that Middleton and Schwartz show with Carly, like the yep. improv long yep. form. Did you like it? It's amazing. It was it's so funny. funny. It's so it was, funny. I went into it expecting like, oh, I don't want to fucking watch this. Like, I love both of those guys separately, but mm-hmm. I don't want to watch some improv show. But it was so good. It's was, really funny when they forget like how many characters they've created. Yeah. Or like who is what. <laughs> or who is what. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's very, very well done. It, so yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I haven't really been watching anything new, as I've already mentioned. I'm on a, a bit of a, a video game kick that I'm now kind of quashing because I, you know, <laughs> apparently can't. Uh, the first urges. 15 minutes of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyways. I think that qualifies uh, as a binge. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's been like a week and that's all I've been doing. And the fact that it's what I'm seeing in my dreams is fucking with me. Uh, all right, well, let's move on to the album we are uh, going to talk about today. We decided to do something new this week, or this round, I guess. I don't know. It's not really on a weekly basis, but uh, we this decided... next rotation. Yeah. yeah. We decided to pick an album, each of us individually, that we're going to be doing, that we should like, but we don't. So we are starting off with Alex's pick, which is uh, the album Discovering the Waterfront by Silverstein. This album came out when I was 15, 
which is like prime scene time. I was I I grew up in Oakville, which is also where Shane Told is from. He lived like around the corner from where I grew up. Are and they so, all not from Oakville? I, I think, thought they were from Burlington. Yeah, I think most of them are from Burlington. I mean, is there a difference between Oakville and Burlington? Let's be very, honest. Very, very little. Yeah. yeah it's, um, they're beside each other. It's not really yeah, Basically, Oakville is like the, it's a little bit nicer, but I'm just saying that because I'm biased. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like Shane Told went to the high school, White Oaks, that a lot of my friends went to. I went to the Catholic high school instead. Um but yeah, so Silverstein was massive in my area. Um, and, you know, I was a part of that whole scene that they started. Uh, they seem to have like headed up the scene of like, you know, Dead in the Vine, Story Reads the Line, um, all those type of bands. And I went to all that shit and Silverstein played all the time. And I, I really enjoyed them live. But this album, everybody seemed to love. And I just didn't really want to listen to it. Did you, I mean, this this was their like massive breakout record. Yeah, so so I was going to say, did, sense. did you listen to when Broken is easily fixed? So actually, when I chose this, uh, like when we were talking about what album we were going to choose uh, for this round, I totally forgot that there even was another album before this. To be honest, <laughs> I haven't thought or like looked into Silverstein in at least ten years. So that's fair. Yeah, but this um, is the album I remember everybody freaking out about and playing nonstop at parties. And I remember it being a big deal as well because it came out the year, uh, I, it actually came out the summer right after I graduated high school. And uh, I definitely own it on CD. I actually, for one, loved this album when it came out. I thought it was awesome. But then again, I was also 17, not quite 18 yet. Um, and uh not that like it, it really has a lasting impression now, because when I went back and listened to it for this podcast, I was kind of like, oh yeah, this song's good. Uh, this song's not that good. Uh, this song sucks. Um, but at the time, I remember loving it. I remember thinking it was awesome. Like it was just catchy. It was, it was like everything that I wanted at the time. So yeah, I mean, was, it is. It's sorry, very no, no, it's okay. Um, it's a transitional record for a lot of people because they do both sides of of like a rock band and a scene band um relatively well so yeah. it kind of makes sense for a lot of people why this was their transition into like more aggressive music or where they got more into like the hooky punk thing because that's kind of this record in in an entirety is like everything's got a big strong chorus but everything's also got a heavy part yeah because i remember listening to their first album when broken is easily fixed in high school uh, a guy I was in a band with at the time, uh, I think he sent me over like MSN Messenger or something. He sent me Hear Me Out and uh, Giving Up. I think it's Giving Up. Yeah, yeah. Giving Up. That was like the yeah, yeah. big single, right? That was their single, yeah. yeah. Giving so, Up on Me or something like that. Yeah, everybody was covering yeah. that back in the day. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I remember those two songs being like awesome. And they were on like, you know, breakout or breakup mixes I made throughout high school and shit. Um, but then I remember when this album came out, it was like a more polished, better songwriting, whatever. Well, they went to Cameron Webb, which I don't know. I, I mean, I'm assuming that Alex has no idea who Cameron Webb is. But I know um, from now I do, but he is only after looking he, into this. <laughs> oh, he is a massive producer. And you like thinking about where like that for, first Silverstein record, well, it's got its own charm. It doesn't necessarily sound good. Whereas this is like Cameron Webb is like the polished of the polished 
Like everything that he does is huge. Everything's got these like uh, kind of, I don't want to say they're all the same, but there is a certain aspect to a Cameron Webb record where you just know when you hear it. Um, oh. Like certain <laughs> production tricks and certain uh, just kind of tones that are in everything. And even though this record came out in what, like 2004 or something Five. like that? 2005. 2005. Yeah. Um, you can still hear them that like at this point and then you listen to say like Bayside's and Tarot Bang which came out last year and their similarities are still there which is kind of crazy like that's that's really like a yeah, lasting it's, it's a very very good sounding record and I mean the fact yes. that they also recorded it at Capitol Studios in Hollywood like from what that's I understand crazy. That, that's a pretty big deal you know like that's yeah I mean they were on victory records so they had that victory money oh yeah around for this and it, I mean it, the fact that they were they were paired with this producer. They recorded at that studio. It's like, yeah, of course this record was going to be huge at the time. Like it just had all the, the right ingredients to get right time, right place, right. Everything for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Alex, why, why don't you, why don't you like this record? Like what, uh, what stood well, out? It's actually not that I don't, it's just that I didn't like it, you know? Um, Cause now listening back to it, I, I kind of thought the same thing you were saying before, like, you know, it's got some good songs and it's got a lot of the elements that now looking back that I actually liked back then in a lot of scene bands. Um, so I don't, I, after re-listening to it, I definitely don't dislike it as much as I did. Uh, it's, back then. I kind of wonder sometimes because I have this like really bad prejudice for this sort of thing, but I wonder if it's a local thing. Like, oh, this is a band that is from my area they're not that big of a deal because I'm also from here. Like there's a, I remember with the fully down. Yeah. Uh, was, they Ottawa. were literally who I was just about to bring up. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember when they are got they signed to fearless, band? they are. Yeah. Um, when they signed to fearless, I didn't live in Ottawa, but I remember when I moved in, I think that I might've moved within the same year that they announced that signing though. And I remember seeing them at a show being like, I don't get it. But it was also, I think being in Ottawa and like, I think there's something about kind of quote unquote hometown shows back then where it wasn't people that were diehard. It was all of these friends. And so it seemed like the band was like a secondary thing to the people all hanging out. If that makes sense. Yeah. It was like, so, it was a, it was a way for everybody to like reunite. Exactly. And so I remember seeing them and being like, okay, like the band is tight, but the music doesn't do anything. And it doesn't seem like anybody else cares either. And so I kind of got that idea stuck in my head of like, oh, these guys must be like bad. And I like, I remember uh, kind of revisiting it maybe a couple, two or three years ago, because I found like a burnt CD with like a bunch of their demos or something on it and going back and going, this actually isn't that bad. It's just for some reason, that memory, that time, that experience kind of made me think that way. And I kind of wonder if maybe that's a Silverstein thing, because I know they played Ontario so much mm -hmm. over the time that it was here. Yeah. And so I wonder if maybe it was something like that where it's like, they're from my hometown. I fucking see them all the time. This isn't a big deal, you know? Yeah. I did see them like, Oh my God. So many goddamn times. I think it's also, it's also crazy <laughs> to think that they were a band, like this was their second record and they were already doing these like headlining us tours. You know what yeah. I mean? It's crazy yeah. to think that a band that early in their career is already doing these tours that are huge. Like uh, they were playing Warp Tour and they, I think they later on did Taste of Chaos. But the fact that they were doing headline tours with like Spitalfield 
and Stretch Armstrong and these other kind of like niche, well, not niche, but these kind of up and coming like pop In the pop. zone sort yeah. of, yeah. The fact that they were doing these headline tours. Now, gr- granted, they probably weren't playing the size of venues they're playing today, but I don't know. I always just found that kind of fascinating that they were like such a big deal right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I, something I, it's something I personally never really quite understood because the music to me now is very generic. But again, it's a time and place thing. Well, I also find that in our area, like the Southern Ontario, you know, scene, they were really like the daddies of it, for lack of a better term. <laughs> like they were like, Shane started Verona Records and Verona Records was massive in my area. Like everybody wanted to be on that. And all of those shows that, you know, either had Silverstein on it or had Verona Records bands on it were always massively sold out. And like everybody I knew that was interested in that type of music was obsessed with, you know, either Silverstein or, you know, like the other two big bands were like Stuart Reads the Line and uh, Dead and Divine specifically. The and then up. there was like the Stick Up who was great. Love the uh, Stick Up. I was really into like Circle Blackout, which was another band which was, like, <laughs> less known. I actually I have that CD. Once. Oh, really? It was terrible because I was so young. Oh, it was really embarrassing. I mean, yeah. to be fair, they were young too. So kind of, I get it. It's yeah. funny that you bring that up because to me, like Straight Reads the Line, like, yeah, uh, I know, like they did put out a record on Distort and um, of course Dead and Divine, I know. Um, yeah. But Straight Reads the Line to me never really got that big. Um, again, as they somebody did a that big tours at the end, but then I don't but know. It, like I never saw them go into the states, or if they did, I, it was never a well publicized tour or something. Yeah, they were kind of um, always one of those bands that would big in their area, and they didn't yeah, really expand. Which is, it is well, what it did, is, you know. They weirdly they did a uh, a tour with Bring Me the Horizon, like across Canada, and uh, like that was when Bring Me the Horizon was. They put out the album right before Sepaternal. Like that was a big album still. Like wait, you're uh, what's it called? Uh, this is a nightmare. Believe yeah. that I've heard it or something. This is they, hell. Believe me, I've seen it or something like that. Yeah, really. There's because that that I thought, seems I thought like, it was the I thought it was the album before that. I thought it was Suicide Season that they that. Oh, yeah, you have was, to think that Bring Me the Horizon came to Canada for the first time, and when they first came to Canada, I remember they headlined at Mavericks in Ottawa, which is like a two hundred cap room. And it was not like a huge deal. And now obviously they're like these rock gods, but um, yeah, I could, I could see them at the time. Like that would be the right timeline for them to do something because bringing to the horizon hadn't broken out yet. There was a lot of buzz about them. I remember, but yeah, they weren't like the grandmasters. They are now. Yeah. Yeah. And see, for me, this is, this is an area where I'm lacking. Like um, my like early to mid two thousands, while I did, like some heavy stuff like that was my be all end all fandom of like Monine era so i was way deeper into like saves a day and uh kind of stuff in that realm so for me when you're talking about like like i said like straight reads the line like i would put boys net out before them as a big deal and they're from burlington 
But I think that they fall into a different classification. Even though they had some like heavy parts here and there, they were mostly like poppy. And you they know, I think earlier, I think, right? Well, I see, I think they came out around the same time. I think that Boys Night Out got like quote unquote bigger first. But I'm pretty sure that the, the first Silverstein record and the first Boys Night Out record came out within a year of each other. I'm pretty sure. That's Possibly. not what this is about anyway. It's not. Um, the point I was going <laughs> to drive home, kind of bringing this up, though, is that a lot of these bands, like Monine, Boys Night Out, uh, Silverstein, um, I don't even know how else to throw, po- uh, uh, Protest the Hero. Alexis. Um, Alexis no, they're not in this, because let me, let, me, let me finish okay. this, because I got a point. A lot of these bands made a point to stick around and play a lot of these smaller areas a lot. And mm. I can remember, like, in one year, I saw Monine and Brampton, Toronto, Hamilton, and St. Catharines. Not right. a lot of bands at that size at that time would be doing that. And case in point would be Alexis on Fire, because once they did get to that size, they weren't doing those small shows anymore. They weren't going to go true. and play the Casbah. They weren't going to go and do, like, the Shadow in, in Guelph or something. Whereas Silverstein, I can remember seeing them... Um, I think at Capital Music Hall or something. And then the next time they came through, they played Babylon. And then the next time yeah. after that, they played Mavericks. And this was like old Mavericks, not the new setup. And they always seemed to like make a point to play shows that were accessible to people versus some of the other bigger Canadian bands that once they got bigger, they were like, we're big now. And yeah. so yeah. I feel like that's kind of why Silverstein has a bit more of a lasting impression with bands because even now they still do it. Like, they're still playing, like, yeah, we're going to play Hamilton on this tour. Like, it's such a, an odd thing. In, but in a bus. In a bus. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing, is they'll still go and do it. And, like, a lot of the times these markets technically, you know, quote-unquote, wouldn't be worth it, but they feel like it is because it keeps them kind of level at that point. So that's why I feel like Silverstein is one of those bands where, like, yeah, you saw them a lot, but it's also because they were making a point of doing these you know smaller more accessible things so that they can keep their fan base now do you think that a lot of their success has to do with the fact of how much money they were given by their label and the time of the label like victory records at this time was a huge deal this was before all of the a day to remember drama and shit this was like hey taking back sunday stuff yeah exactly like it it was like being on victory it was pretty much like you were guaranteed success at that time or there was so many bands at the time that were becoming these big deals because of that label and i wonder if it was partially i credit that that you know see for me i i don't necessarily think it's um like a victory only thing because there's a lot of bands that came up like ferret was another label you know there was a lot of different labels that were coming up. I think it was just one of those things where it's the right place, right time for what it is. I don't think that it hurt them as far as exposure goes to have silver, uh, to have victory behind them because that meant they were going to get a boatload of advertising. And yeah. we all know, like, going to Warp Tour in 2004, what that meant. You were getting fucking victory everything while you were there. Yeah, and yeah. so I think they definitely did get that advantage, but I don't think that's what's attributed to their success. Because I don't, like, when I think about it, I don't go, oh, yeah, I saw Silverstein in this ad and this ad and this ad and this ad for victory. I think to myself, I saw them five times in one year. You know, I saw them opening for this band and then they were headlining this band and then they did a co-headliner with this and then I saw them, you know, open for this again. And, like, I remember even seeing them fucking open for Under Oath way before that was a big thing, you know? Like, 
they just seem to always be out there. And to me, I think that has to do with the fact that in this era, one, people went to shows like crazy. They were a little bit more affordable than they are now for some of this stuff. But also it meant something if you were constantly on tour, you kind of almost not get respect, but got more attention for the fact that you were just out there. And they definitely yeah. were. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, if we're going to talk about the album, I mean, going back and listening to it again, Dan, what would you say is like your, your favorite, least favorite song? I mean, it's tough because this isn't something that I really like listen to much anymore. I, I remember when the record came out, I bought it the day it came out um, because I did really like the first Silverstein record. But also, like, this was, I believe, the year that I moved from Belleville to Ottawa. Like, I feel like this came out in, like, May or something, and I moved in August. Um, and so this, is, this record, it specifically, is kind of like a weird, like, I gr grew a lot the year that this record came out. So I have a weird, like, I don't hate it, but I don't like it. It's just right. there. And it's associated with a lot of memories of, like, moving out of my house and, like, the girl that I was dating at the time and, like, that kind of stuff. Um, so there's not anything that I really hate on the record that's not just, like, generic era stuff of, like, yeah, you know, I don't like that every chorus is sang in this way. It makes all the songs sound the same. But in, for 2005, that makes sense. Yeah, so, sort of the, yeah um, it was kind of the formula at the time. Exactly. But I will say, Discovering the Waterfront, the song, to me is, like, awesome. Like it's yeah. a, it's just a great song. It's a very um, good song. But at the it stands out over the rest of the record, which I feel is very like middle of the road for who I am now in my thirties. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, of course. That's funny. My note for discovering the waterfront is I get it, but meh. Yeah. Like mine yeah, actually. Yeah. My note is that it actually sounds like a song that could have been put on the album prior. It I has mean, I, it has a very when broken is easily fixed vibe to it, in my opinion. I mean, I still like it as a song, but I feel like if they'd thrown it on that record, it could have easily... Because they kind of had, like, ballad songs on that first record, like November and... Uh, I kind of feel like that's every Silverstein song for the first three, two or three records, though. I guess so, They yeah. all could have been on whatever record it was, and it doesn't really make a difference. Which is funny, because those are the only three Silverstein records I own. After, oh, after, I the, third one, after the third one, I kind of fell off, and I haven't really kept up with... Um, with them but yeah it is what it is uh alex listening back your favorites least favorites uh so uh my heroine is the song that actually looking back at it now that was definitely the reason i kind of wrote off the band i really don't like that song the drugs begin to pick a smile of joy I would agree. That's probably the song I like the least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in there, if I had to choose one, totally. exactly. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. That, yeah, it's, it's just. It, I, I said it was the song is whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but at the same time, I know, 
like especially the girls that I grew up with, they were like this song was their everything type of thing, you know, like right. all over MySpace pages and all that shit. Um, and then I don't know, favorite song. I really like the end of Always and Never. Uh, the beginning wasn't at like, yeah, the song right after My Heroine, I think was pretty good. And then, I don't know, the rest of it, there was nothing that really was like, I love this song on the album though. But then again, there wasn't anything that like, when I made the choice to choose this album, um, you know, nothing made me feel the way that I remembered feeling when I was 15. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, like I said, I feel like it is exposure, but I also think that as people and as musicians now, we appreciate things, even if they're not our thing, we appreciate what it is for the skill of what it is. And as much as like maybe over the years, I would flip flop on Silverstein and how I felt with them. At the end of the day, for a very, very long time, they've known exactly what they're good at and they've yeah. done it really, really well and really, Absolutely. really consistently, like yeah. consistent. And this is coming from someone that like, I, I know not the record that came out very recently, but like I was working at Dynalone when they put out that record before. And I cannot tell you how ridiculous their like amount of pre-orders they had, like, like rival city and color sort of thing. And you don't think right. of a band in that genre doing that kind of business. And that was just the Canadian pre-order. Like it was bonkers. And well, they hustle. Oh, like, they do. They work their really asses kept, off. Yeah. They've really kept up that uh, work ethic of like what you brought uh, forth earlier about how they toured nonstop. They really yeah. bring forward that work ethic. I don't know if all of them do, but at least somebody in the band is. Uh, As I was saying, I think it's their, their drummer, Paul, who's like really into the business sort of thing and he's had like like i think he runs a management well or something like i'm not it's funny because my understanding uh, and again this is like bits and pieces over the last few years there's actually kind of a mix between about three of them paul is kind of like the day-to-day quote-unquote manager guy mm -hmm. um that does kind of like the 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 normal management stuff but from my understanding it's like shane is actually the major part of the band as far as like he does a ton of the songwriting but he also does all the like money management and like mm. all the social media related stuff like he's a lot of the like because it makes sense he's also the singer he would be a lot of the like front running stuff that involve that involves like interacting with people that makes sense yeah but also like nowadays there's uh what's his name that paul paul whatever guy that used to oh, be paul, paul mark uh paul mark yeah Thank you. That was going to drive me crazy. I was going to call him Paul William. Um, he, from, for the most part, in the last, like, maybe five or six years that he's been in the band, he's basically taken over the songwriting. Right. And so there's, a, there's this weird kind of dichotomy where they all work really well together, but they all take on separate stuff. And I can remember also hearing um, through the years that they used to have this thing where if you wrote the song, you would play everything on the song so that it came out the way that you wanted it. So no, say Paul Mark, Paul Mark writes a song. He's like, okay, he plays the bass. He plays all the guitars. Obviously Shane comes in and sings it and, and Paul plays the other Paul plays drums on it. Mm -hmm. But I remember hearing that from like more than one person 
But that also could have been any number of like sections or years ago or whatever it is now. So um, that's but, a really uh, interesting take because yeah. I mean, you don't really hear about that type of. I mean, sure, you hear about the type of songwriting where like somebody writes a song, brings it to the table, whatever. But usually they're teaching it to everybody else. And I just I find that weird, especially from a live standpoint, that like if you haven't played the shit out of the song or recorded it or whatever, like it doesn't have the same sentimental meaning. I don't know. Maybe that's just me being a drummer, but it just it would be no, weird I, if we went to record and you were like, all right, uh, so I'm gonna play everything on this and see you guys later. Like I would, you know. Yeah, I I, I, yeah. I agree with you. I think that it it definitely has like a a separatist feel almost to it. That's not the right word, but like no, no, no. But it's like how would how would a because we were talking about this with say the Carnival album many podcasts ago. Like if you're not writing something together, like how is it going to feel cohesive? You know? Yeah, and see, I agree with that too, which explains exactly why we write the way we do. Absolutely. But I wonder if based on what this band is and what they do whether they all just have a clear understanding of what they do and bring to the table that is solid and maybe what they bring to the table that isn't. And I, my only, the only reason I brought that up is because one, I don't remember where I heard that, but I just remember hearing it more than once. But also if you think about it, these guys are inching their way to 40 if they're not at 40 by now. And it might be one of those things where they're just comfortable saying, you know what? I'm not good at writing this, but he really, he really is. So mm -hmm. let's hit, let him make this magic happen. And then, you know, I'm sure they're probably involved with like, you know, arrangements or other things like that. Yeah. But I just wonder if maybe that's what it is. Cause this band's been around for what, 20 some years. Like it's gotta be getting close to 20, if not more. I would yeah, think so. Be. Like they've been around since, yeah, like the early 2000s. So if not 20 years, at least close to it. I think I read in their, in some sort of bio that they started in like 1998 or 1999. Wow. So yeah, that's a, that's a good haul. Yeah. yeah that's a very, well, yeah. they also have 10 full length albums and like four. That's years. the, that's the other thing that's kind of crazy is like, they've they been formed in 2000. Sorry. Okay. Formed okay. in 2000. So the fact that they've released like a record almost every two years since 2003. Plus like EPs. And plus EPs. Yeah. Like the biggest gap between albums was their most recent album and the album before it, which was a three-year gap. But everything else has been like two years, two years, two years, two years. It's like, it's something to be said that you can churn out albums like that and still, you know, people are still buying them and, you know, mm -hmm. there's still a need for it, like, or a want for it. Um, which I find that people, I could, it could be something to say that, I mean, especially in today's day and age, that people want to hear something and then they immediately want to hear the next new thing you have. They don't yeah. really care about, you know, like ingesting what you've just released. They're like, okay, that's cool. But like, when's your next album coming out? You know, like it, and I wonder but if I, them playing to that is a strength of theirs. I was going to say, I think that also has to do with like what we were saying before with their work ethic. They're coming from an era where it's not necessarily that you had to put out records all the time, but if you were going to tour that much, eventually you would need something else to offer people. And if it's every two years and then they're touring just as much as they did, that logically makes sense that they're probably plowing out approximately 18 months worth of like business. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, it's like, all right, now let's get back to work on something else again. Whereas nowadays you have bands touring less. So it's not as quick of a rush that people get maybe sick of what they're hearing mm -hmm. because it's, you know, like, 
Glassjaw, for example, like another band from that era, they did one tour on that record that came out and then they're just doing like festival stuff here and there for probably the next while. Now they're a weird thing because they didn't put out a record for like 15 years in between or whatever, but you think about it, that's the opposite. They're like, okay, we're out now, we're done, you missed your chance. So that everything else after that becomes kind of like special. And that's kind of the other side that you could go with it. But I think Silverstein has just figured out like, we do enough of this that if we can continue to put things out, not necessarily regimented, but just enough that it allows us to keep the schedule going, everybody's happy. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's one of those things. I was just looking at their discography, and it, it seems like recently they've kind of been slipping in when it comes to billboard charting. But they've usually on average are, are charting in like the high or low 30s which is crazy that a Canadian Pretty band nuts. is doing that at their level on U.S. Billboard. Consistently, yeah. Consistently, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean... Good, uh, this, good also, I sh- we should mention that this, this album was actually nominated for um, a Juno Award, and I think it's the, yeah. their only album that was nominated for a Juno Award. And then who did they lose to, though? Uh, oh, oh sure. I have no idea. I would have yeah, to look that up. It was somebody dumb. I mean, it's the Junos, you know, yeah, does, it, does it really mean a lot? You know, I'm just kidding. Please nominate us someday. Uh, <laughs> uh, they lost to Bedwin Sound Clash. It was for oh, a new, right. new oh, group of the year. And funny enough, uh, Boys Night Out was actually nominated that year as well. Yeah. A um, couple of the things that I think are worth noting mm-hmm. with this, uh, this record specifically, as we are talking about it. Um, one of the only, I think the only member that has ever left Silverstein is a guy named Neil Boshart, I think, or Bo- Boxart or something. Boshart, yeah. Boshart. Yeah. He wrote the majority of the music on this record. Yeah. Between him and Shane Told were the two majority writers on this record. Now, there, oh, it so does I was say... I the impression he left before, like, the last album. Like, he left in, like, early, early days. No. Apparently, uh, he was there until 2012. Wow. I might have I might have missed that 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 year. Hang on, I'll, I'll I have it written down somewhere. Uh, yeah, he left in September 2012. So again, kind of devil's advocate here. If he's been a part of this band, and you think about the last record and then this one, and he's writing such a significant part of it, he clearly has an idea of what he like he wants out of the music here, mm-hmm. and. I think that might be a little bit why more why I find at least anyway, a lot of silver scene stuff kind of meshes together. Right. But also like a band of 20 years this year, having one member change, like we were talking about with Rob and the the other podcast is pretty significant. Like you have that many people that are on that same page for as long as they are like, that's Mm -hmm. pretty crazy. Yeah. That's, and especially like in a, a musical style that you do see, you know, turnover and, yeah <laughs> i was gonna say like frequent turnover member change stuff it's like almost but it's also it. a you know a genre that is maybe not at its at its peak anymore yeah. and yet you have this many these many guys that are still committed to doing this and are clearly doing it very well but it's just it's interesting like you think of some of their counterparts like uh poison the well for example like yeah. poison the well disappeared after a while and they're just starting to creep back their way in. Or Misery Signals is another good one because I just saw they had a post today about something. They have but a new like, uh, teaser out. Yeah, I think they have a new record coming out. Anyway, um, 
like you have to think like they've never taken a break they've never you know gone on hiatus or anything like they've yeah, stayed going which regardless, is very yeah. admirable very yeah, I was, admirable I was gonna say, regardless of what you think of the band's music you have to respect their their workmanship and their their uh their hustle At their drive yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. and the fact that they're still trying to stay relevant being around for 20 years like it's 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 respectable you know and it's not something i ever really took into con- like consideration considering that i always thought they were and this is me saying it i always thought they were kind of overrated um granted i mean i did like their earlier stuff and i haven't really listened to a lot of their new stuff so i don't know how valid my opinion is if it is at all valid um but one thing I wanted to touch on that I found really interesting, and the fact that this is considered to be their big breakout album, is that they only had one single. I think officially for, they only had one single. Exactly. They had yeah. music yeah. videos for, for Smile in Your Sleep, which was the single, and they also did videos for Discovering the Waterfront and My Heroine. Yeah. But it's just, it seems weird to me that they wouldn't even, like, why wouldn't they have released those as singles if they did videos for them? I yeah, think this, for one is a different era for this sort of stuff. Like, I remember Smile in Your Sleep video. I remember it being fucking everywhere. Um, But also, this is kind of the era where, like, other music channels started popping up, too. Like, there was uh, MTV Canada. There was Fuse. There was a different one that I can't remember the name of. Um, And so I feel like the idea of a single back then is different than what we kind of consider it now or what it has been considered for maybe the last 10 years or so because of the development of a uh, like technology for social media. Like at this point we're talking MySpace versus mm-hmm. now we're talking Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of this different stuff. So yeah. I feel like back then, and people can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I remember at least anyway, back then you could quote unquote release a single by making it on your MySpace player. Right. You know, I just, and, I just yeah, think it's weird that, true. Because Victory Records, back in this time, I remember distinctly being one of those bands that you'd buy a record on their roster. And it would have the sampler in it? Yeah, it would always have a sampler. And I, This record a, has one. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like, why would you only have one single by a band when you were releasing all of these samplers all the time? Like, wouldn't you want to give more... More than just uh, the one song. More than yeah. just the one song to help promote the record. You know what I mean? Like, Especially it just, considering yeah. they were everywhere playing everything. That's what I mean. Like, it just seems kind of counter productive productive yeah Yeah. i mean again i'm i'm just hazarding a guess here but like victory records it seemed to in my experience depend on what record you were buying as to what you got like i'm pretty sure that this this record is a dvd but sometimes you would just get a cd sampler and so again my in my head i would think like i'm sure they you know they made videos for other songs that would end up on some of these dvds but at the same time, that was the draw to finding this stuff, you know, kind of like back in as backing up a little bit more to like 98, 99, 2000, 2001, you'd buy a CD and it would have like a CDR par- pop part of it mm-hmm. where you put in your computer and it would have like a mini documentary or like yeah. music videos or whatever. And this content was used in a different way than it is now. It wasn't necessarily to debut a single. It was oh, this is an extra video that's just on here. Or right. maybe, you know, you could, you only, you got to go to Journeys and buy this and you get this DVD with this video, you know? Yeah. Um, and I get the feeling that that's a little bit more of where some of this stuff went because aside from all the rest of the stuff, it wasn't necessarily cool to have all this stuff out there. You know what I mean? Like think yeah. about the conversations we've had about quote unquote selling out and shit too. 
Like this was fucking prime time for that kind of stuff. Like if they had say, you know, all these bands getting signed up all of a sudden would have been the same as like, like like Finch going from fucking di- drive through to MCA, you know, like yeah, a lot of that stuff was happening around then. So it wasn't necessarily the coolest thing in the world to have three music videos out, you know. Well, that's the other thing that's always kind of boggled my mind as well is that they were on Victory for how many years? Like I think least, it's is it four records? I think so. Like I was gonna say for a while, but the fact that they never made a transition to a major is you know. I don't know if it was a, a strategic business choice because of money yeah. or like, because they could easily they keep the cred. I don't know. Yeah. Like did, were they afraid of being considered sellouts if they went to a, to a major? I, I don't know. You know, that's a, that's a good question. The thing is, because I know they're, they're a band that I feel like could survive on a major, especially after so much, you know, footwork being put in after exactly a decade of it. Yeah. Like, they have, they have a fan base that, that, would They're gonna follow it. them regardless. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I, don't I don't know. I don't know where this happened. I do know at a certain point that uh, they were dealing with Universal directly. Um, from what I can see, just quickly, right, looking through my notes, they did four records for Victory. Then they moved to Hopeless for a couple of albums. That's right. Then they were uh, on three. Rise. Then they were on Rise uh, for two, and then now they're on. Um, Unfed. I don't know. I no, unfunned, I think, or something. Unfund? Okay. Yeah. Sure. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that the years they were on Hopeless in Canada, they were dealing with Universal. Because uh, okay. the years that they deal with Rise here, I'm Alive and Everything I Touch and Dead Reflections, those were new damage records, which right. means that they were in the Dine Alone fold there. And Dead Reflection was the record that I worked. Gotcha. Yeah. So no. yeah, maybe, and that was the time now where, because when they were on Victory, they didn't really have any Canadian representation. They were taking Victory as a global. Because that's what Victory uh, wanted. That's, that's the right. thing. Yeah, they wanted um, everything. But yeah, because back in the day, like you wouldn't have seen them necessarily sign with Distort or Dine Alone or something at this yeah. time, you know, which obviously now they're on New Damage still and they're one of the bands that pays that label's bills. Um, I don't know if they are on New Damage anymore. I think it might have just been those two because I feel like on on the the label they're on now, I'm pretty sure is worldwide again. Okay. I don't know. I mean, we'd have to do a little bit of digging. Out of everybody that would know, it would be you. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also interesting. Again, just kind of, I'm going through my notes and the stuff that I wrote down here. Um, this record specifically, I believe, might be their highest selling one. Uh, because I'm looking just at like so. the basic numbers that are here. I wrote um, in the U.S. they did 235,000, I think, copies. Mm-hmm. But then worldwide they did another 300,000. And then the last one that I have sales records for, which is this is how the wind shifts. In the U.S. they did 8,925 copies. Wow. So now, granted, that's a very different way of consuming music, mm-hmm. but like those are huge numbers for like a a relatively small Canadian band. Well, I think they've, they've technically, I think I I read uh, that they've sold over a million records worldwide. In total. Yeah. In total. Which is is incredible. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. That's like, again, you have to applaud that because it was one album attributing for half of that. Yeah. I don't know. No, no. I'm just saying like, no, 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 no. It's at their, their level that they've been able to, like maintain do that yeah exactly 
And I'm I'm probably willing to bet that that number is is significantly higher than a million at this point too, because you got to think, think so, like, yeah. just on the first the first two releases by themselves is almost a million in total, and then you got to start bringing in like say, yeah. yeah, but then you got to start bringing in like digital sales and how streaming and all that stuff works in it too. Like I got to think that they're they're much bigger than that at this point. But there's no real way to say without doing kind of like some heavy research into it. So, um, I mean, if, if you're also right heading up that, uh, you know, the downloading phase of music, right? Because downloading now isn't necessarily like streaming has taken over downloading, but right around then was when I was downloading and, you know, ripping my own CDs and stuff like that. So there was a huge fan base of theirs that didn't pay for their music at all. Um, no, I was, I was just, I was just trying to think because, like, they're sort of one of those bands that really headed like the screamo movement in Canada. And I was trying to brainstorm, like, who would be their American counterpart? Oh, yeah. that's a, that's, that's an interesting. Tough. Honestly, the first band that came to mind when I was looking at like just a list um, is Senses Fail. Oh, they, they were, yeah, very, I could see that. They're very uh, similar in the whole like scream and kind of nasally singing <laughs> yeah if that makes sense and i feel like shane and bud both have like similar... distinct voices yeah like when you yeah. hear it you're like all right i know who this is um it's funny because i always attribute silverstein to hawthorne heights for some reason mm. and i can never figure out whether it was maybe the records came out close together or like my friends group because i never liked hawthorne heights i never They're got both, the appeal both victory both victory bands they are both victory bands, but I never, to me, they were too far into like the whiny pop genre that's that they I, never yeah. felt heavy. And that's, so to and me, I thing, just yeah. was never into it. Yeah. I but for some reason, I felt about Silverstein. Like, well, that's really what I was going to ask. We kind of got sidetracked a little bit, but like, well, maybe I can ask John instead. So comparatively mm -hmm. thing too, in this, in this area, in this genre, well, like, yeah, I mean, I would assume we're Canadians. Yeah. So well, I was actually going to say, like, I don't think there, I've but... ever actually seen Silverstein live. I've really? Gone, I've, this is the thing. I've gone to shows that they've been on the bill, but I either got there after they played or left before they played. Like, the big show that I remember um, going to that they were actually headlining was at New Capital Music Hall in Ottawa, and it was I Killed the Prom Queen. Uh, I Am the Avalanche. Shout out to Brett Roms. Red Robes! A Wilhelm Scream, The Sleeping, and then Silverstein. And the, the Sleeping, I remember going to that show because I wanted to see The Sleeping, because I saw them at Warp Tour that year, and they blew me away. And I remember reading that they were one of those bands that everybody kind of jumped on, saw them, and was like, oh my god, this band is like, where have they been my whole life? And uh, I remember The Sleeping were late. I got right up to the front, and then a Wilhelm Scream came on, and I remember getting my ass like just handed to me. <laughs> uh, and then the sleeping finally showed up and they played and then i think i left before uh before silverstein even went on because i was just like at that time i think i was just like over it like i just didn't really care to see them live i thought they might be boring or something so and funny enough when we played at stay warm fest with them we didn't play on the day that they headlined yeah um, we played the other day with a wilhelm scream yeah with a wilhelm <laughs> scream protest the hero so um, but Shane oh, played his like solo thing, I think. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
was it oh, riverbeds? Yeah. Uh, riverbeds. River Oaks. Uh, River Oaks. Which is actually because that's the neighborhood we grew up in. Wait, Riverbeds River is uh is Alex other Alex. Shout out to Alex. What up, buddy? Montreal Alex's band. Yeah, oh, great band. Oh. We always stay with him. You met him. Oh yeah, I did meet him. Yeah. <laughs> Slept on his couch. Um What about you, Alex? Like I mean kinda. Um shit. Oh no, but sorry, I didn't I didn't quite answer your question. What oh, I was that's right. Is, sorry, sorry. Um I mean I was more into like heavier stuff at that time, which is maybe why I didn't really care about seeing Silverstein. Cause I, I, I guess, you know, I liked the record, but I, I don't know. I was more listening to like metalcore stuff at that time. I was really into Norma Jean and Unearth, uh, Atreyu and Th- Thrice. Yeah. That sort too. of stuff, you know? So Silverstein was kind of like the, this is the a bad version. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say like the sissier version. They still had breakdowns, but they weren't like kill the person beside you style breakdowns, you know? I just didn't really like how nasally Shane was. Like, it, there's something about his clean vocals that really bugged me. And uh, it wasn't as bad live because, I don't know, back then everybody was kind of shitty live in this <laughs> genre. So, uh, I don't know. There was like the cool, fun, hardcore parts. And then when he got into like the nasally high stuff, it wasn't really that big of a deal for me live. But listening to it, I remember being really bugged by that. And I'd much rather listen to, you know, a tree. What what you're touching on right now is was my issue with Boys Night Out is the main guy I felt could never sing. And I remember when I first moved to Ottawa, Silverstein seemed to play like four times in five months or something like that. And the girl that I was dating when I moved was a big Silverstein fan. So I used to just see them all the time. She would come up, we'd go see them. It would be just something to do. And I remember at that time thinking how good Shane was in comparison to a lot of other bands at the time, not necessarily really being a, like a, a, like a, a fan. Like I was just like mm-hmm. kind of a, like oh, not a casual yeah, this guy can sing live. Like it. Yeah, I remember it thinking off. it. Yeah. But I also remember, like you said, this was the era where people like weren't that great. And I remember, like, Boys Night Out to me was always the gauge. If you could be better, a better singer than the guy in Boys Night Out, you were pretty good. If you were better than, um, fuck, I can't even think of who it was. But also, like, that's digging into bands around this era. Like, that was always my problem with fucking Thursday too is I always found that Jeff couldn't sing at all. And then all of a sudden a switch turned and he became very good at it live. Um, So I don't know whether there was like, maybe some shows were better than others with him or something, but I just remember seeing him and going like, this band is always tight and he can always, like he's always hitting the notes, which was more than I could say for like 85% of the bands that played around then. Well, I found seeing them live because living, you know, right where their home base was i saw them like i i can't even count how many times like too many but, times like, too many times they played with everybody i liked and um well because they just played with everybody but they eventually after a little while they turned into the band that when they played i would go outside and smoke a joint or you know drink more with people and they were just the band that yeah i would get fucked up during <laughs> for the rest of the bands that I wanted to see. Yeah. Unless they were know. headlining, but I don't know. Yeah. They're definitely one of those Canadian bands that has, you know, done something 
Yeah, I mean, I... In a genre of music that isn't necessarily, you know, widespread, accessible. Like it used to be. Exactly. It's definitely not at its heyday anymore. Um, It's a very nostalgia type of thing. Yeah, they are definitely, for me especially, they're a nostalgia band because they were, you know, in rotation when I was in my late teens to early 20s. Yeah, they Uh, do do, uh, like, consistently world like festivals and tours and stuff like that like they play in europe a lot they play in australia a lot like they have worldwide fan bases and i think that's that's partially to do with the fact that the style of music they play is very big in europe and very big in australia and that's not taking away from them it's to me it's a compliment where Mm -hmm. they are in essence one of the top of the crop for these markets and that's why you see them headlining all these crazy festivals or like part of these absolutely massive things where they're playing like the main stage like they are there i i think it's kind of like we were i was talking about with uh third eye blind to a certain respect they're not necessarily rock stars everywhere but i think that they are bigger than we perceive them to be because they were a band that grew out of ontario as we also grew up you know and it, it, it becomes one of those, it's, it's a nostalgia thing, but it also is a, is a defining thing where like you can recognize exactly what that band was at the time that you noticed them. And so you're always going to attribute that, but you're also going to notice the fact that like, they're still around, they're still kicking, they're still doing these things. And now you're 30, you know, like there's, there's a translation there. But it's weird because it also seems like a genre of music that when you get older, it's like, it's kind of my issue with the record that we're going to talk about next that you outgrow the genre of music you're playing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I, it, I, like there's something about different, like it's playing pop punk or screamo when you're 40, you know? It's, I think, I think there's something to be said for that, but I also like neither one, none of us have kept up with them. So I couldn't tell you what their new stuff sounds like. Not um, very true. Oh, but no, I, I also listened to one of their new uh, singles recently. Yeah, uh, I saw it at a, it was like at a West Forty Nine or something like that a couple of years ago. I was there, and it sounded pretty much the exact same as what you know this was. Yeah, um, I remember reading an, an interview with somebody though, and I I feel like I attribute this to to the fact that um, people hold on too hard to an age for certain things in their life because. I can't remember who it was. I, I want to say it was maybe Scott Vogel. Um, but he was like, basically the quote was, and I'm paraphrasing, like, I don't understand why there's an age limit for anger. If I'm still angry about something, shouldn't I still be able to react to it in the same way? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like Henry Rollins has something about that too, where he's like, I expected <laughs> it's funny myself- because when you said that quote, I was like, that sounds yeah. more like a Henry Rollins quote. But yeah. <laughs> anyways. No, and the thing is, is like, I, I know Henry has said things similar to that. But the one I always rem- remember from, because I went to see Henry do his like spoken word thing a few years ago. And I remember him so saying, cool. he's like, I expected myself to mellow out. And instead I got more upset. <laughs> and he's like, that's why I keep traveling and keep learning and keep doing all this stuff. Because I'm not a corpse. So why should I act like it? And, but the, the Scott, I think it's Scott Vogel, that quote always kind of like landed with me because I'm like, it's true. Like you turn 40, you don't all of a sudden put on dockers and stop caring about things. Like you, you are who you are. And not to say, not to say that, 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, not to say that Silverstein oh, no, is like go. a political hardcore band or anything, but no. at the same time, I don't know why there would be an expectation if you do something and you'd like it and you have passion for it, that all of a sudden you should have to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. But well, the I'm anchor thing. Yeah. Bands I was into around then. Like I yeah. love Protest the Hero. I still love, you know, Kazaya. Kazaya is one of my top, you know, favorite albums of all time. So, yeah, Sweet. agreeing with your point. Does anybody have any final thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I would say that I kind of expected us to dig in a little bit more to, like, the idiosyncrasies of this record. But I think the fact that we kind of have bounced around talking about Silverstein, the band, and, like, their impact on thing, on things probably shows how effective this record was because at the end of the day, we're talking about specific stuff that we attribute to our taste versus this actually just being a bad record, which it's not. And, you know, the sales record and the longevity of the band and all of these things, the thing that we're missing is whatever it is that, um, that Alex likes about music maybe isn't necessarily in that record enough for him to attach himself to it. Right. But they're still doing some pretty amazing things because at the end of the day, this is their 20th year as a band. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't they also do a 10 year uh, reissue of this record? Or I'm not sure if it's year? this one or if it's the one after this. Cause I thought that they, they maybe did something or. I can tell you, hang on a second. Also someone's grinding pepper. Yeah. That's uh, I'm getting dinner ready. i'm not um so they did a uh a decade record so they did 10 years where they did a live record at the alma combo right um there's also a alma combo because it's a beautiful old venue um not anymore but it was um there is two versions of arrivals and departures one has just got bonus tracks on it uh there's two versions of rescue Okay. Rescue, and then they did a in 2019. They did what was called redo, which was the first 10 years, and I think they re-recorded all those songs, or maybe yeah, remixed it, one or the other. And yeah, that. and then the same year they also did a 15-year when broke is easily fixed. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I just oh, yeah. that's all just like live tracks of the old stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, overall, yeah. I don't know. I, th- I kind of wish I could go back to my 15 year old self and be like, no, maybe don't write off this album completely. Uh, because now like, I really don't see why I didn't like it as much as, because it really does fit in exactly with what I was listening to back then. Although it, I don't know, as I was really into protest, a hero and I loved dead and divine and Stuart reads the line, you know, for like the local scene stuff. And but whereas I kind of attributed this more along the lines of like my chemical romance, I guess. Right. I could see that. That's a decent pairing. Yeah. And whereas like I still I enjoyed my chemical romance as well. Uh like I really like I went to go see them on the Black Parade tour and uh I thought they were great. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I think with this record it was one of those things that it had sort of something for everybody. If you wanted heaviness, there's breakdowns, there's screaming, Mm -hmm. there's angst. If you want melody, 
you know, there's the lighter side of it too. There's the, the, the ballad, you know, if we want to call my heroine a ballad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's some, some of the songs, like, honestly, I feel like the last four tracks for me, like, I can't really, and I think it was every time I listened to them, like, I can't really decipher them. It was, kinda, for me, for me, it was such a, it was the best. Which is funny because like I always thought it was a front heavy album, like Your Sword versus My Dagger. That was yeah. a song I used to love covering on drums because it was in like a weird time signature and it just, you know, it was just a fun song to play. Um, my personal favorite track is The Odds of March. I just, there's something about that, that verse riff that just has this like dreamy quality to it. And I don't know, that song, again, it's a nostalgia thing, just always kind of mm-hmm. stuck out to me. But uh I don't know. And then, and then when you get into like fist wrapped in blood, I thought it was just kind of like generic. But... I love the end of that song though. Just the end of that song. The rest yeah. of the song was kind of meh. Like, I feel like the songs that I like on this album, I really like. And then the songs that I'm kind of whatever about, I'm not like, they don't really stand out as much, but yeah, going into this, I would have put everything at around like a six, six and a half out of 10. Um, but now I, even still, I wouldn't put it above a seven and a half. I don't think I could put any single song at an eight out of ten. But I mean, I think that I think that makes sense. They, yeah. I, I almost wonder if maybe so you were hard. just too young. Like that sounds shitty to say, but like yeah. you're talking about Straight Reads the Line, Dead and Divine. Those bands became popular two or three years after Silverstein became That's very big. True. So your exposure point is you see Dead and Divine as kind of like baby Silverstein and they're more relatable because they're closer to your age. Yeah. And they're I heavier. Know, like like I'm have, not trying to say that, but no. Yeah. I have all the dead and divine albums. Like I know all of them. They're great. And um, there's something. There's something. All right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I guess on that note, uh, if nobody else has any, any other thoughts, I'm very interested to know what you're having oh. for dinner. Really quickly, I just yes. remember this. Do you remember when Silverstein played Blues Fest? No. I've okay. never been to Blues Fest. Okay. Oh, that's fucked up <laughs> one. Uh, I mean, I mean, I clearly have because I played with Iron Maiden, but... Um, I, lived in, I, lived in Ottawa for, I lived in Ottawa for like 25 years and I never went to Blues Fest. I, my old drummer and my old band, Jeremy Foley, shout out to Jeremy, uh, him and I walked around the perimeter of Blues Fest and waited until some drunk 15 year old like flipped the fence over and we ran in and we watched gym class heroes, Silverstein and somebody else. I don't remember who else was, yes. but I have this. No, I, that was a different day. Same, same year, but different day. I <laughs> really? Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm yeah. shocked that I would know that. No. Cause I saw kiss with a different friend and we did the exact same thing. No, I was I, like, I, let's I remember, just yeah. walk around the fence. I remember anyway, you saying um, that you snuck in to watch kiss. kiss so bad. Yeah. Oh, it was a great show. Um, but I remember very vividly because Silverstein was playing like they weren't the headliner. They were kind of in the middle. So there was still like, Oh, was parents. it a st- story of the year? Uh, maybe. Cause I remember I they, they played one year and they were doing backflips and stuff. And that was like a huge deal. Yeah. I, it, I remember there was four bands. In maybe total. it was Hawthorne Jim- Heights. Cause I know Hawthorne Heights. It was, Blues it, Festival. It was okay. definitely not Hawthorne Heights. <laughs> okay. um, but I know it was gym class heroes open. Silverstein played after them. Then there was whatever band, and then the band that Jeremy wanted to see was at the end, and so I stuck around with that. But I remember very vividly Shane going, 
So since most of, and I'm paraphrasing, since most of you seem like you're over the age of 40, let me answer the two questions you're wondering. Why are we screaming and does it hurt? Well, screaming is fun and yeah, it hurts a little bit sometimes. And then they <laughs> broke into like some like banger song. And I just remember thinking like, that's really funny. Like he's clearly paying attention to what's happening. So well, it's kind of like when we went and saw um, Single Mothers and uh, Drew was like, I'm 30. <laughs> I'm 33. <laughs> and I just went to a song. Yeah. Good times. Uh, so I have a story that I totally forgot to bring up. Uh, sure. So I saw them back in, there was like this Burlington festival that they were headlining. And uh, for some reason. Is that Scene was, Fest? Or no, that's in St. Catharines. No, that's St. Catharines. I forget what the Burlington one was. Um, it was like a big outdoor festival. We have one in Oakville called Waterfront Festival, and it was like the equivalent to that. But um, anyways, so they were headlining and Ill Scarlet opened because they're both from, you know, Burlington area. And it was a weird pairing, which I saw more shows with them together. But this show specifically, I had just, I was so hungover because it was like a daytime festival thing. And they played at like 1130 in the morning. And so Ill Scarlet played and I played and I was smoking this massive joint with a couple of my friends. And as soon as Ill Scarlet went on, I looked at my best friend, Robin, and I was like, I don't think I'm feeling good. And I passed out on him and they carried me out of like the middle area. And I was just on back up against the fence, sitting down. I woke up, I was wearing, I had glasses at the time. And I like had my glasses in my lap and my friends had just left me there because they wanted to go back into the pit. And Shane told came out of nowhere. He walked by and he looked at me. He was like, Whoa, kid, you're fucked up. And cause I was, and he gave me a bottle of water. And that is my only interaction with Shane told. Uh, <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, was the band uh, Dan Stone Temple Pilots? Because according to setlist.fm, those are yeah. the only three bands that played on Monday, July 13th, 2009 at Blues Fest. Yeah, that sounds right. Because Jeremy loves Stone Temple Pilots too, so that would make sense. I mean, it's yeah. either that or it's Mattis Yahoo. No, no. Stone Temple Pilots <laughs> sounds right. Yeah. All right. Because I remember I didn't stay for the whole thing because I remember thinking like, the band is really good, but he can't sing. And then I just kind of got sick of it. Anyway, not important. Anyways, not important. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. To, Who's uh, up next week? Am I up next week or are you up next week? Uh, it doesn't matter. One of us will be up next week. We'll, we'll let it be I a mean, surprise. We yeah, hate some stuff, so let's figure it out. Yeah, which is shocking on my end, but, you know. I, not it's every, not, this yeah, plays not right into my sweet zone. <laughs> I know. I know. This is what you wish this podcast was about. Oh, this, we're, we're, we're taking this bitch over. Yeah. It's a GTA podcast. It's what it is. GTA, what Dan hates. Yep. All right. I mean, well, it's one and the same. As always, you can reach us at sparrow613 at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> that's all I got. I'm still feeling very hungover right now. Well, on behalf of John and Alex, thank you very much for listening. John will have his shit together next week. I will. I'm sorry, everybody. I know never to pull an all-nighter again. That's the worst <laughs> idea. I'm told he'll come out and give you a bottle of water. Yeah, he'll tell me I look like a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get my life together. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Oh my God.